Those were some great reminders, weren't they, in the midst of just life, right? The stress and strain and brokenness and struggle and, I mean, there's a lot of great things going on, but life is hard, isn't it? And I need to know, I need to remember that he's a good, good father and that the name of Christ really has power in my life and uh, it does help me through uh, days in this broken world. I was mindful of uh, just my own neediness. Uh, something I don't know why, maybe, uh, maybe you can relate to this, maybe not, but I, I literally can remember from my childhood, when I first heard the word wisdom as a kid, I don't know why, but I just really identified with that. I resonated with that. I was like, man, I want some of that. I'm not even sure exactly what it is, but I, I want to live well. It sounds like this wisdom thing will help me. And uh, so I've asked for it a lot, and I need it a lot, and I uh, pray for it a lot. And uh, maybe you do as well. And, and honestly, as you come in here this morning, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I wonder how many of you would say, I know I need wisdom today. Good. Yeah, it's sort of like, do you need to breathe today? Yes, yes you do, and you need wisdom. I want to read you this uh, verse, these couple of verses from James, to get our hearts and minds in a great place to study Isaiah, all right? Here's what James says about wisdom. If any of you, and we would say all of us, lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let me pray for us. Lord, uh, I, you know I need wisdom today and every day. I have things in my life right now where I need your guidance, your correction, your encouragement, your instruction. And I trust that everyone in this room would say the same. We need you to move into our space and help us. Show us the way. Order our steps. Help us to know what it is that we should do next. Thank you that you promise to provide that. You are a good, good father. And you do love, I think, to give wisdom to your children. So we ask for that today as we get into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Well, it's so interesting. Last week we were in chapter 6 in this glorious scene where Isaiah is literally ushered into the presence of God. And it's breathtaking, right? It's this amazing transformational experience. Isaiah is never the same. He has no doubt in his mind about the reality of God and his need for him and God's willingness to be there, be present in his life. And I'm just going to break the news to you. Today, it, it couldn't be more different. It's the complete opposite of last week. These two chapters, and we'll get in a little bit into chapter 8, but they could not be uh, more contradictory to one another and yet... Uh, the communication of God and who he is comes through loud and clear. So we start with, in your outline, desperate times. And uh, we come across uh, King Ahaz. It says, in the days of Ahaz, verse 1 of chapter 7, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind." There's a lot going on there, lots of kings and places and names and all kinds of stuff. But um, let's get a little bit of background here. What's going on here? It seemed like everything was great last week when Isaiah was in the temple with the Lord, right? So uh, here's Ahaz. This is in the 730 BCs, but 200 years prior to that, the kingdom of Israel divided, okay? Right after Solomon's reign. The nation of Israel divided into two regions. So here's a map of that. The the upper region is known as Israel or Ephraim. That's also mentioned here. It's even called Jacob at times in the Old Testament. And then the lower section there, that is Judah. And that is where the house of David in Jerusalem, that's where that is located. So now we actually have... What should have been one nation divided under two kings, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, two sons of of Solomon. Now we also have up in the northeast a, a land called Assyria. And Assyria at this time is the most powerful nation in this whole region. They're in the northeast and they are literally taking as much land as they can get. They are spreading like wildfire and beginning to move into this area of Palestine. And so the kings in that region start to get nervous. Now, uh, Israel in the north, um, they're going to get it first from Assyria because that's the direction that they're heading. And so what they begin to do, and this is characteristic of the northern kingdom of Israel, is rather than trust in the Lord, they begin to form alliances with other nations. So they join a group called Aram. That's also kind of to the northeast. So Israel and Aram get together, and Aram is Syria. They get together, and they're going to kind of band forces together to fight Assyria. And they expect Judah to join with them. 
But Ahaz is not going to do that. And so they think, well, we'll just force him to. We'll just go down and beat him up, get rid of Ahaz, put our own king in place, and then we'll have more numbers to fend off Assyria. So you see how this major problem, this major distress, these desperate times are coming to Ahaz's door. And he's going to have to make some very important choices. Because either he is going to trust in the Lord as he's supposed to, as the king of Judah, the house of David, or he is going to look to his own resources. And that's exactly what he does. He looks to Assyria of all places. He decides that he'll team up with Assyria because they're probably going to win anyway in the end and uh, take out Israel and Syria. And then he can uh, survive a little bit longer. So you can kind of see where this is going. Let me give you a little bio on Ahaz. He is not a great guy. Remember, he's the, in the four kings that were mentioned at the very beginning of this book. Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Listen to what is said about Ahaz in 2 Chronicles 28, 1 through 4. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That's the most important thing you need to know about this guy. As his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Israel was known for going its own way. He even made metal images for the Baals, the gods of the nations that surrounded them. And he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his sons as an offering. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. This is a bad, bad king. But he's the king of Judah. He's in the line of David. And he needs wisdom because Assyria is coming. And then his neighbors are coming. Like everybody's coming after him. He needs wisdom. And if we go back to James, he deserves reproach. Really, God ought to just take him out and get somebody else in there. But I want you to see what God does with this horrible king. And perhaps it will give you confidence that as a Christ follower, God wants to give you wisdom just as much as he wants to give this horrible, horrible king. So we have a divine intervention for this evil king of Judah. Verse 3, the Lord said to Isaiah, his prophet, Go out and meet Ahaz, you and Shearjahub. We're going to get some great names in today, I promise you. <laughs> Go out with your son at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field and say to him, say to Ahaz, be careful, be quiet, do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, speaking of the leaders of Israel and Syria. At the fierce anger of Rezin, 
and Syria and the son of Ramalia. Because Syria and Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it. And let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as the king in the midst of it. That was the, the puppet king they wanted to put in place so that they could get Judah's help against Assyria. I hope you're following all this. But just think about this, okay? Ahaz knows what he's done. He knows who he is and he knows what he wants. He knows what he's supposed to do as king. And what he's doing is he's scheming, he's planning. He's at this um, water source for Jerusalem because he's expecting a siege. When these nations come against him, they're going to set up a siege. And one of the things they want to cut off is a water supply, and it's exposed. So he's up there literally planning, how can I figure this out and protect us? It's all about him. And then two guys just show up out of nowhere. Isaiah and Shearshabub. Okay? Now, here's what's interesting about their names. Isaiah means God is salvation. And his son's name means a remnant will return. Now, the king knows that. And I would think, if I'm in desperate times, that's great news. There's hope. And that's exactly the message that Isaiah brings to him. What a gracious intervention that God makes for this evil king. Begins to give him wisdom that he desperately needs, even while he's planning and scheming. Now, the word of wisdom that he gets probably isn't what he wanted to hear That phrase, be careful, be quiet, those were good words for the king, but it literally meant be careful to do nothing. Now again, just imagine all that's coming at him and Isaiah says, hey, I just want you to stop everything and trust in the Lord. Don't trust in your own plans. Don't trust in your own resources. Don't trust in your own intellect. Don't trust in all the stuff that you can come up with. You trust in the Lord. Think about uh, Joshua. Remember when he was going into the promised land and he comes to Jericho, this mighty fortress, the first obstacle to Israel inhabiting the land. And what does God tell them to do? Like grab all your bows and arrows and tanks and whatever else you got and just bust through the front door? No. The Lord says, here's what I want you to do. Here's your strategy. I want you to just walk around the walls and sing praises to your God and I'll take the walls down. It just totally contradicts our natural instinct to take control and do what we can do. Think about the rich young ruler when Jesus confronted him. The rich young ruler. He's got lots of stuff and he's a religious guy. He's got it all figured out and he comes in very humbly and says, Lord, tell me what to do so I can enter the kingdom of heaven. What does he tell him to do? Sell everything. Why? Because that's going to keep you out. Like there's this trend here. 
The Lord, when he intervenes, he doesn't say, you know, get tough, get gritty, work harder, go harder. He says, I want you to just to stop. Stop. And trust me. I've got you. I want to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And as long as you're trying to work harder for yourself, you're not going to get to see me do that. So Ahaz is at a demanding crossroads. The prophet has come to him and said, I know what's going on. I probably know more about what's happening than you do. And here's the word of the Lord. Here's the wisdom of God. Trust in him, not in yourself, and not in your stuff. And the Lord tells him, here's how this is going to play out. If you'll trust in me, here's what's going to happen. Look at verse 7. Thus says the Lord God, it, that is all the, all the plans of these other nations and Assyria and everything else, it shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. All their planning and scheming and everything else, it's not going to work. Verse 8, for the head of Syria is Damascus, the head of Damascus is resin, and within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. Here's the key. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. If you will not trust the word of the Lord, then you are like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Do you remember the old hymn, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way? That's what's happening here. That's what the Lord's saying to this evil king. Trust and obey, because let me tell you, Ahaz, there's no other way for you. If you don't, you're going down. The real question is this. Will Ahaz seek salvation by works, politics, alliances, all that, or simply trust in divine promises? And you know, there's a great gospel principle here, isn't there? Are we going to trust in our own works, our own plans, our own resources, or are we going to trust in the Lord. Write these two verses down. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And then in Romans 8, 31. He lists all these amazing things that the Lord has done for his people. And then he asks, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, just a quick kind of side note. This doesn't mean that everything's going to go your way. Right? It doesn't mean life's going to be easy. It may be incredibly difficult, painful, full of suffering. We see that in the first century in that church. 
but it means that the Lord will be with you and that he will give you everything you need, we say this all the time, to do what he's called you to do. That's his promise. And then there's a great end of the story. Because when we leave this place, it just gets better. Way better, right? So here's a question for you to, to think about. Are you really listening? We all said we wanted wisdom and that we needed wisdom. And that's what this book is. This is, this is the word of wisdom from the Lord. So here's the question. Are you listening? Or are you just talking to yourself? And I want to tell you, I'm as guilty of that as anybody on earth. I talk to myself all the time and I have to say, Lord, help me because I don't want my best ideas. I want what you want. I want what you say way more than I want anything I've got to offer. Great words of warning. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Now, at this point, I, I still think the Lord could have just said, you know what, Ahaz, I'm done with you, man. Uh, we can get somebody else in here that can at least do a little better than you're doing. But he comes again with a cure for doubt. A cure for doubt. It's a sign. Verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. That's a pretty nice invitation, isn't it? Once again, I'm just amazed at God's grace and mercy to this guy. He deserves none of this. And yet God says, I will give you the sign of your choice. <laughs> Name it. I can do anything. And then that sign is going to let you know that everything I've said is going to happen is going to happen. So ask away, Ahaz, whatever you want. Look at his response. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Do you feel the piety in that? I'm above that. I would never test the Lord because I'm just so trusting And he said, the Lord said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Even though you didn't ask for one, you're going to get one. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. There it is. And he shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the divided kingdom. The king of Assyria is coming. Now that, that would have knocked him on his heels. 
because God's done now at this point. He's like, I've, I've come to you several times here, Ahaz, trying to help you out, trying to give you wisdom that you don't have, trying to let you see the future so that you can align your life with that. And you have pushed me off again and again and again. So here's the deal. I'm going to perform a sign. And it is going to remove all doubt about who I am and what I'm up to. And you, Ahaz, and your people, they will not benefit from this sign. It's just going to get worse. The king of Assyria, the one that you thought would be your savior the one that you went to to make an alliance to protect yourself, he is going to be the very one to take you out. Painful, painful words for them. Amazing, beautiful, hopeful words for us. A cure for doubt. If you're ever wondering... Is God's word true? Does he do what he says he's going to do? Can I trust him? It's one word. Emmanuel. God with us. That's his sign to address the doubt that you and I face day in and day out when we face the, the desperation, the difficulty of life. That's the purpose of a sign. It's to strengthen what's lacking in our faith. It was intended to strengthen the faith of Ahaz. He was given that opportunity. And the Lord would have been glad to do it, but he doesn't. One commentator says to refuse a sign that is offered is proof that one does not want to believe. For Ahaz, God was just one more option of many. And he would take him and leave him, depending upon what he felt like was best. Um, it's interesting that the sign is a child. This picture of weakness, vulnerability. Isn't that strange? That with all of this threat coming, it's a child. But it's not just any child. It's God. It's God coming in, moving very personally into this crisis and letting his presence be known. Now, um, just a very quick word about this sign. Um, there, honestly, there's a ton of debate about was there actually an Emmanuel in that day that Ahaz would have gone, oh yeah, there he is. Is this a symbolic name for another child? Is this a double fulfillment? So there was a child in Ahaz's day, and then there was the Christ child. There's a lot of debate there. I think that a double fulfillment makes the most sense. It would have been strange for God to promise a sign that could have been seen by the king and others in that day, and then there not be any sign. And I've got a suggestion about where I think that sign shows up but nevertheless this is where God moves in to bolster the faith of his people and I you know what that gives me a lot of hope that 
I don't have to figure it all out. I don't have to have all the answers. And there's going to be times when I am really going to need God just to kind of carry me through. I'm going to need him to show me something that just says, hey, I'm here. I'm with you. I think that that prayer delights the heart of God. When we say, I want to follow you, will you just, will you show me something? Give me something to help me. I think that's a prayer he delights to answer. So here's the application question for this sign for you. Is the prophetic sign of God's presence fulfilled in the miraculous birth of Christ a source of confidence for you as you seek God's wisdom? Certainly, Christ came to pay for our sin. But he also came to to remove any doubt at all that God is for his people and that he wants to help us live well, to, to honor God and to accomplish his purposes. That was a big part of him being present. He wanted us to know that he could be trusted above all else. So so does the sign function in that way for you? Or is it more of like a sentimental Christmas kind of thing? You see the difference? Like this is meant to to be so embedded in our minds that we wake up at the beginning of the day and we say, Emmanuel, God is with me today. And I'm not even sure what this day holds or what I'm going to do and I may really mess it up bad. But God is with me. And that's all I need. Man, that's a good, good word for us. It just goes downhill for Ahaz and Judah. So I'm I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here. It's just like there's an imminent threat. This is discipline for the double-minded. Ahaz is scheming and planning and all that kind of stuff. And what's going to happen is... The Lord's just going to bring it. He's going to bring it on them. They're going to be everywhere. He's trying to, to create a safe place for himself. And the Lord's just going to drop it all right in the midst of it. Humiliation. And, I, you know, remember earlier in Isaiah we talked about the humiliation of trusting in idols? Like we put our trust in those things and then they let us down. That's exactly it right here. That's what they experience, trusting in alliances, uh, pagan nations and all that. Depopulation, things get very scarce, a harsh wilderness. We see Genesis 3 in living color right here. In the nation where it was a promised land flowing with what? Milk and honey. And now we have three times in uh, verses 23 through 25, briars and thorns. That's what we get when we trust in anything but God. That's what it returns to us. So Judah, rather than at this crossroads entering into a redemptive era of history... It's darker days than before. Like Ahaz was so afraid of Assyria coming, so he makes an alliance with them. Well, they're going to come anyway. And they're going to bring a lot of problems 
God's going to preserve Judah, but then after that, we're going to get into this down the road, here comes Babylon. And they will ultimately take Judah out. Quick word about Maher Shalal Hashbaz. There's your second name. Chapter 8. The Lord said to me, to Isaiah, take a large tablet and write on it in common characters belonging to Maher Shalal Hashbaz, and I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberkiah, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. All right. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria shall be carried away before the king of Assyria. Does that ring a bell? His name isn't Emmanuel, technically, but is he not a sign? of the presence of God for his faithful people. Isaiah. He is the reminder of God's presence. I think he is the initial fulfillment of that in King Ahaz's day. He would have been something that Ahaz could have seen and been reminded of God's activity. Then in verse 5, the Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Ramalia. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks and it will sweep on into Judah and will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck. And its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land. Who? O Emmanuel. That name means speeding to the plunder, hurrying, hurrying to, the, to the spoil. So it is this aggression of Assyria that's coming. And this child's name was meant to remind everybody, here's what's coming because you trusted in yourself instead of in the God who made a covenant promise all the way back to Abraham. What was only a possibility earlier, which could definitely have been avoided by grace through faith, is now a painful certainty. It's going to happen. Refusing God's wisdom simply leaves us to our own devices. And though the Lord will never forsake us, he, he promises that to his people. If you've entrusted your life to Christ, he will never leave you or forsake you. But he will let you experience the consequences of foolishness. Trusting in yourself day in and day out. He will preserve you for eternity. But this life is going to be harder than it has to be. And it's hard already, isn't it? But we don't have to contribute to that. We can say, Lord, I will trust in you. Give me the wisdom 
to follow you well. So this was grave consequences for the people of Judah. But this passage, as we come to it today, we prayed for wisdom this morning. And here's what we saw. A divine intervention that was undeserved but gladly performed by the Lord for his people. We saw a demanding crossroads. You and I are going to have to make some choices in life. And our choices matter about what we experience day in and day out. And best of all, there is in this text a cure for our doubt, a name that reminds us every day that God is with us and he is glad to give us what we need to do what he's called us to do. So I want you to uh, think for a moment. We all said we had stuff where we needed the wisdom of God. So I want you to think for a moment about what it is you, what you actually feel like you need from the Lord. And maybe even this morning, you need to start asking. Unapologetically come to him and say, here's, Lord, here's what I need, Lord, from you. And if I'm asking for the wrong thing, show me that. And I'll ask for the right thing. But I, I do think this is a great, great opportunity for us to come with empty hands. Not with all our stuff, not with all our smarts, not with all our plans and schemes and everything else, but with empty hands and say, Lord... I want you every day, every minute of every day. So ask, ask the Lord, whatever it is that you feel like you need to ask him today, and let's kind of set a trajectory going into this new year where we are trusting in the name of the Lord. Take a moment, reflect on that.